0: In my practice, we have six areas of health that we look at in terms of genetics. We look at nutrition, we look at micronutrient supplementation, we look at sleep, we look at detox pathways, we look at fitness, and we look at hormone function.
1: Welcome to the Longevity Blueprint Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Stephanie Gray. My number one goal with the show is to help you discover your personalized plan to build your dream health and live a longer, happier, truly healthier life. You're about to hear from Dr. Tracy Gappin. This podcast is all about longevity, and one way to do that is to boost testosterone. Next, Dr. Gappin is gonna share why we have a low testosterone epidemic and why the time is now for men to take back control of their health, truly optimizing their health so that they can be powerfully present husbands, fathers, and leaders. You're gonna wanna share this interview with all the men in your lives. Let's get into the episode. Today, I'm thrilled to chat with Dr. Tracy Gappin. Tracy Gappin is a board-certified urologist, world-renowned men's health and performance expert, professional speaker, and author. He has over 20 years of experience focused on providing Fortune 500 executives, entrepreneurs, and athletes a personalized plan to optimizing their health and performance. Dr. Gappin incorporates precision hormone optimization, peptide therapy, state-of-the-art biometric tracking, epigenetic coaching, and cutting edge age management protocols to help men not just optimize their testosterone levels, but transform their health and vitality and reverse aging so that they can be the most amazing version of themselves. Welcome, Dr. Gappin.
0: Hey, Stephanie, thanks so much for having me today.
1: So I met Dr. Gappin at a small workshop in Milwaukee last fall, and I was so blessed to have randomly sat down by him and asked, well, what do you do? And he said he was a urologist. I was so thrilled to hear he was a urologist that was for optimizing hormone replacement therapy because unfortunately, locally, we do have some urologists that that is not their specialty. <laughs> some of them will refer to me for assistance with that and others are not for it. And so I was very thrilled to hear that you are for testosterone, but as we're gonna get into today, you're. You are for more than just optimizing testosterone. So I'm excited for this conversation today because we get to talk about men. Now, I do see male clients in my clinic, but the large majority of my clients are female, uh, and they're wanting to improve their health. So they may have fatigue, weight gain, poor sleep, anxiety, hot flashes, vaginal dryness, low libido. They come to see me to optimize their health, and then in time, they bring their husband yeah. <laughs> because now they need to be on the same page, well-balanced with their husband. And I do think optimizing hormones is a wonderful way, a quick way to get my patients feeling better, but there's more to the story than just receiving testosterone replacement therapy. And that's what I love about your book. So Dr. Tracy Gappin's book is The Male 2.0, Cracking the Code to Limitless Health and Vitality. So as I mentioned, Dr. Gappin is for hormones, but he works with clients to boost them naturally. And we're going to talk about some strategies for that today. In chapter six of my book, Your Longevity Blueprint, is where I'm comparing the heating and the cooling system of the home to the endocrine system in the body. So hormone optimization is, again, one key to longevity, one key in my book. And so let's just dive into that today. So Dr. Gepin, let's open with your story. In your book, you call yourself a bit of a rebel. So what made you, as a urologist, interested in this approach, your approach, which we're going to get into today? And why are you a rebel? <laughs>
0: <laughs> sure. So I am a medical doctor by training. I've been doing urology for 20 years now. And as we go through medical education, through college, through medical school, through residency, we are taught simply the disease model. And that, what I mean by that is we're treated how to diagnose a disease, how to troubleshoot someone, identify what their, their disease is, give them a label. And then treat that problem, treat those symptoms, stamp out that disease, and that's what our focus is. And so our entire energy-focused direction is around simply treating disease. And once that's accomplished, see you later, see you next time. Well, personally, I had my own health issues maybe five, six, seven years ago or so now, where I started gaining weight, I wasn't sleeping well, I was stressed out from work, and I wasn't eating well, and I had no time to train. And uh, I was so focused on my career and my patients that I really lost sight of myself. And these health issues really became apparent when I went for my first physical ever and found that I was markedly overweight. My cholesterol numbers, my kidney function numbers were off. And it was uh, a scary moment to suddenly be faced with my own mortality. And I realized that I need to start changing things. So I dove into my medical background and training and education and realized that there was really nothing there for that. And my primary care doctor simply told me, eat more vegetables, exercise more, and maybe take a statin. Those were his his three recommendations. That was it. And so I left there puzzled a little scared, overwhelmed, Um, but that was a real changing point in my life to realize that we as physicians were terrible at, at, at teaching our patients how to be proactive about optimizing and improving their health. We have been simply taught how to treat a disease, and that's where the shift happened for me personally and professionally. Uh, started focusing on epigenetics and how our lifestyle and our environment and our behaviors affect the way our body functions and That got me down the path of health and performance optimization and and that's become a huge passion for me and, and my book is centered around that and um, That's where I live personally as well as what I preach to my patients
1: Wonderful. So I'm getting that part of this may have been lower hormone levels (laughs) that you may have found with yourself, (laughs) which piqued interest to maybe optimize your health and the health of your patients. So can we talk a little bit about why testosterone levels are plummeting in men? Do we have an epidemic? What's going on here?
0: (laughs) Yeah, we certainly do have an epidemic. Um, you know, there have been three great longitudinal studies that have looked at this. Uh, there's a, a big one here in the U.S. that uh, followed men for 15 years, and they found over a 30% decline in testosterone levels, 40% decline in free testosterone levels. And two European studies showed similar findings. And those studies even accounted for dietary factors obesity uh, insulin resistance stuff like that that we know can definitely uh, contribute to that and so we recognize that there is a, a, a massive epidemic that we're experiencing where we're seeing testosterone levels plummet we're seeing fertility levels plummet as well in line with the testosterone levels and so we know that there's something affecting testosterone function or excuse me, testicular function, including testosterone and sperm uh, motility and count, which we'll get to why in a moment. Um, But you're absolutely right that there is an epidemic and um, it's really affecting uh, every aspect of men's health. And when a a guy starts to experience low testosterone, there's a trickle-down effect to that. He loses energy. He can't focus at work. Uh, He loses motivation to exercise and work out. Uh, It affects his mood, and that's going to affect uh, his his choices of nutrition. It's going to affect his relationship with his spouse, and it goes on and on. And so I like to talk about going, quote, beyond testosterone, because while that is a major part of a man's health, that's just one piece of it.
1: Sure, sure. So you already talked about why testosterone is so important. And I would add to that testosterone is even important for bone density. I've seen men with osteoporosis, young men who have taken prednisone or steroids for various reasons come to me because their doctor said, you need testosterone for your bone density because you're young, you have a lot of life to live and your bones are shot, which is scary.
0: Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Bone density, muscle mass has to do with lipid metabolism and your ability to burn fat. And um, it, it has so many effects on your, on your health.
1: Helps preserve our memory as well as we age. We, we want to live long. But we want to keep our memory, right? <laughs> helps That's up the right. blood flow to the brain. <laughs> um, so women commonly come to see me, I think, uh, more urgently. I think women are more in tune to their health. Uh, and I would, I would echo what you've said about men and testosterone levels declining with women. We're seeing progesterone levels go down in women. We're seeing this in both sexes mm-hmm. for sure. But I, I find that women are more eager to more quickly seek help and that men sometimes neglect themselves. And as you state in your book, they're failing themselves and their families because they're not, they're not seeking the care they need to optimize their health. So that's kind of the preface of your book too. Again, this, your book is called Male 2.0, Cracking the Code to Limitless Health and Vitality. And I got a sneak peek of this, <laughs> which I was very thankful for. because it's not quite out coming soon. And I'll have to tell you as I was reading it, my husband was getting quite annoyed with me because <laughs> every chapter I'd I be in the bedroom and he was sitting out watching TV <laughs> with the dog or the baby. And I'd say, oh, you, oh, you got to read this. You got to read this book. There are so many good tips in there. One of which is to not use plastic K-cups for coffee, which he uses every day. And so I want to get into why those are um, working against male testosterone levels. But before we get into that, in your book, you also mention the difference between the male 1.0 and 2.0. So can you kind of differentiate that for us?
0: Sure. Yeah, you're absolutely right that men don't typically want to seek out medical attention, if not for one main reason. And we all know what that is. You know, men will do almost anything. To regain uh, healthy and normal vitality and sexual function, and that's what what unfortunately is the the, the main uh, provocative uh, uh, issue in their life that will bring them in uh, t- to undergo testing and you know ask about testosterone. But the the, the main thing to understand with testosterone is that um, there there are a lot of different factors involved in why it has uh, diminished. Um, you know, diet can certainly play a role in it. Um, You know, we know that that, um, there are a lot of healthy fats versus unhealthy fats. Uh, We know that sugar um, can definitely play a huge role as well. Um, We can look at environmental toxins or endocrine disruptors. And I think this is really where the focus of our discussion um, is going to go here. Um, And what I talk about in the book is we have found that there's a clear correlation between exposure to various endocrine disruptors and a decline in testosterone in men and and i want to quickly as a disclaimer state that this is not just testosterone you know we're seeing effects of endocrine disruptors on women and women's fertility and on immune function and uh, increased risk of cancers and obesity and uh, all kinds of other health problems as well so endocrine disruptors uh, specifically here i'll talk about how it affects testosterone but i would be remiss to, to not point out that it has a lot of other health uh, is- effects and issues as well so uh, you know you mentioned k-cups um i do mention that as one of the 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 things in our environment plastics in our life um that affect testosterone because uh plastics are made of phthalates And phthalates are found in any plastic that's either bendable or clear. Uh, Plastic water bottles is a great example. You know, BPA or bisphenol A is is used to make plastic water bottles as well. Um, A lot of water bottles will say they're BPA free now, which is, you would think, great. But instead, they're using BPS, bisphenol S, to get away from that. But they're also made with phthalates as well. And, And phthalates are important because... They leach into the food and water that they're storing, um, especially when you're, you're looking at warm products like a K-cup or if it's a plastic food container that you're reheating um, or if it's in a plastic water bottle that is maybe being stored in a closet for three months before you drink it. And these toxins are leaching into our food and water and we're eating and drinking them.
1: And that's scary to me also as a, a relatively new mother that these plastics are also in teethers and bottles and various toys and shower curtains. I mean, these soft plastics are, they're everywhere, essentially everywhere. everywhere.
0: Yeah. yeah. Any plastic that's bendable, uh, 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 plastic baby toys is the big one. Um, plastic food containers. Um, and then you can get into your personal care products as well. You know, things like laundry detergent and soap and shampoo and sunscreen. Uh, there are chemicals in all these products that you're absorbing either through your skin um, or if you're ingesting them, uh, these toxins are, are crushing us.
1: And correct me if I'm wrong, but personal care products don't have to mention on the label that they contain these phthalates. So sometimes those, the phthalate could be hidden in another word like fragrance, which is why we need to exactly. avoid all fragrances. <laughs>
0: Exactly. Yes, any scented products um, are going to have one of a number of different endocrine disruptors. And and there's a great uh, tool that you can use uh, by the Environmental Working Group. Um, This app on your phone will enable you to look up the ingredients of any product. And and it's kind of uh, scary to realize all these things that are chemicals that are in our, our either foods or personal care products that are loaded with chemicals.
1: So I'll post a link to that website in the show notes. So the environmental working group has a skin deep cosmetics database that you can search for to rank uh, or to see the ranking of your personal care products Um, that ranks the risk of cancer, the endocrine disruption, the allergenicity rate, and then the app is a healthy living app. So I'll post those links for sure. And what I tell my patients is to my knowledge, it's voluntary for companies to participate in that database. So if they're not participating, then they may be actually hiding something. I was shocked too, when I went through my husband's drawer in the bathroom to find the shaving cream that he had been using. Just He doesn't use that many products, but of the products he uses, they weren't ranking safe. They were ranking pretty high for endocrine disruption. And that means they can bind to our hormone receptors and cause bad things to happen. So even in women, endometriosis, infertility, PCOS, heavy cycles, um, and essentially long-term risk for um, hormone-related cancers. So we need to be getting these these chemicals out of our lives speaking of estrogen in your book i think you also mentioned that many women are peeing out their birth control <laughs> i mean literally the our water systems aren't filtering out the estrogen that is ending up in it for so many women that are taking birth control
0: exactly yes yeah. synthetic estrogens like estradiol is a huge problem because it's such a tough molecule that will not get broken down easily, and it will not get filtered very well by our municipal municipal, uh, water treatment plants. And studies have shown that a large portion of our water supply still has detectable levels of various chemicals, but especially estradiol. And estradiol, it's a very sticky molecule. It sticks to an androgen receptor. And think of it like a light switch that won't turn off. So, I get this question a lot. Men will say, well, I thought estrogen was healthy. Well, it is. And men need healthy levels of testosterone and estrogen and estradiol levels are are important for men's health and mood and sexual function and so on. But the chemicals in endocrine disruptors are specifically different because they're synthetic estradiol compounds that don't metabolize, don't break down and tend to overstimulate the hormone uh, receptor.
1: I find also many men who have more fat around their belly (laughs) at that beer belly they're also going to secrete more of an enzyme called aromatase which can convert that testosterone over to estrogen further worsening their challenge all the more reason why Mm -hmm. we need to detox these patients and help them lose weight to help them ultimately balance their hormones so let me go back to the male 1.0 versus male 2.0 so that's all right that's all right tell me the difference
0: so male 1.0 is the approach to men's health that all men have um, uh, practiced experienced and um, understood as what they're supposed to do that is reactive that means you go to the doctor when you're sick that is you um, follow the one size fits all approach uh, fad of of the day of whatever they think they're supposed to do give you an example you know, lately, everyone's heard of bulletproof and bulletproof coffee and keto. And, oh, you know, if I want to lose weight, all I got to do is just do keto. For a while, it was the Atkins diet. And then it was, you know, just do purely plant-based. And then it was the carnivore diet. And there's, there's all these different fads. In reality, you need to take a proactive approach and take a personalized approach, meaning that everyone's going to respond differently and this comes down to our genetic blueprint and how everyone is uniquely different based on your genes. And that's going to affect how you're going to respond to your environment. So some people will do great with a certain diet, other people will do very poorly. Uh, Saturated fat, which is found in red meat and uh, pork and milk, cheese, dairy products. For some people, it can markedly increase your risk for cardiovascular disease and the early development of Alzheimer's disease. For other people, it's actually fine. It's actually healthy in in slightly increased uh, amounts. And so it's really important to understand your genes and how they affect your body's reaction to your environment. So male 1.0 is reactive. It is um, using a one-size-fits-all approach. It is um, relying on the old-fashioned way of health where we just treat it with a pill or we look on WebMD and find the answers ourselves. Male 2.0 is an entirely different approach to transforming your health where we are proactive. We take a a personalized approach by using our genetics to understand how we're going to respond to the environment. Uh, We take a data-driven approach. That means that we can look at uh, biometrics, wearable technology. We could talk a lot about that fun stuff Um, and use data to actually, uh, and leverage that data to make real decisions about our health. Um, it's not relying on a one-size-fits-all model, and it's uh, understanding that we're all uniquely different.
1: Wonderful. Let's let's break both of those concepts down that you were mentioning: the wearable tech, and then also the. We'll talk more about epigenetics. So, let's let's talk about wearable tech. So, how do you incorporate that into your practice? I'm assuming, as far as like monitoring sleep, because sleep has a sleep is extremely important for your body to make hormones. You need to get restorative sleep. So, how do you utilize that with your patients?
0: So I'm currently using two devices, actually. I'm using an Aura Ring and I'm using a Garmin Phoenix watch. And uh, I'll explain some of the benefits of using different devices. So wearable tech allows us to track uh, biometric data. And by that, I mean, we can look at, you know, not just heart rate, but we can look at heart variability, which I'll talk about. We can track sleep. We can track not just the quality or the quantity of sleep, but the quality as well. And we'll talk about that. We can track steps we can track our actual fitness activity level and we can attract uh, we can track stress levels our nutrition if we wanted to and, and and we can look into some really complex physiology related to working out like your load status like your recovery status your fatigue ability different stuff like that so uh backing up for a moment if we can look at heart rate variability which i think is one of the most exciting parts of tracking Heart variability is simply, I know you talked about this on your podcast previously, um, it's simply the variation in your heartbeat from one beat to the next. And this is a very critical physiologic marker because it is a direct window to your health. It shows your body's balance, if you will, between the parasympathetic and the sympathetic nervous system. Parasympathetic is rest and relax and and digest and, and great metabolism and energy and recovery and good health. Sympathetic state is more of a um, stressed, anxious state, um, not recovered. You are in potentially a state of inflammation and more of of an unhealthy state, if you will. And so heart rate variability, which you can track on a daily basis with these devices, enables me to identify my heart rate variability, which is a direct indication of my physiologic stress and health levels and then i can leverage my uh, lifestyle around that information
1: so with the aura ring i i had looked into that before and i'm a little not paranoid that's the wrong word i'm very cautious about emfs (laughs) electric magnetic radiation and someone did tell me that the aura ring is emitting a very small amount have you looked into that
0: yeah, absolutely. Yeah, great question. Um, I get this question a lot, and the EMF from the R ring is negligible. It's 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 almost I don't want to say it's zero, but it's near zero that I'm I'm completely comfortable recommending you wear an R ring, especially when you sleep. Um, the Garmin watch has very it does have a little more EMF, but it's still in my opinion negligible as well. Um, but EMF at night is really a big point, so I'd be sure that you're like your phone's not near your bed. Most people tend to put their phone at their nightstand. Maybe, maybe and
1: charge it plugged in. Charging yeah. it
0: plugged in. Um, it's even got Wi-Fi and cellular signal going at it at the same time. Um, you can actually have EMF coming from your outlets even if there's nothing plugged into them as well. And so, uh, some people uh, are proponents of actually shutting off the circuit breaker to the power in your bedroom at night, uh, which would be the ultimate way of eliminating EMF exposure at bedtime. Yeah.
1: We're about to have, uh, which I will do an episode on this, but I had a family member actually start a business where um, called EMF Pollution Solutions, where we actually, through a remote control, we tested all of the outlets. I mean, we essentially, rather than walk out to the garage and flip the whole, you know, every single circuit breaker, you want to leave your fridge on, there's certain things you need to leave on at night. We've been able to assess which outlets need to go off. And then essentially the electrician will hook up this box and we'll flip a switch. And so we'll be able to cut the juice, yeah. dangerous outlets at night to really cut down.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That's great. I'm
1: eager to get that hooked up. So you talked a little bit about wearable tech, which is wonderful. And I think the, the sleep, Benefit is heavily underrated. I don't think men realize that lack of sleep can drop their testosterone levels so much. So how much sleep do you recommend?
0: Yeah, great question. So sleep is is critically important. And that's the reason why I actually have two different devices. And I'll tell you why. The Oura Ring is, is probably the best wearable device to track quality and quantity of sleep. The other devices out there, there's the Whoop, there's the BioStrap, there's the Apple Watch, there's the multiple apps on your phone, and then the Garmin has a sleep uh, function as well. None of them are nearly as good as the Aura at, a, at, at tracking your sleep. And so the Aura will track the quality. And so let me dive deeply for a moment into the quality of sleep and why that's important. And then I'll, I will definitely answer your question. <laughs> um, so our sleep has multiple stages. There are two stages of light sleep, stage one and two. And then there are two stages of deep sleep, three and four. And then there's REM, which is a rapid eye movement sleep, which is the very, very light sleep where you're, you're barely asleep. Um, and then we'll also have multiple stages of micro awakenings during the night as well. So as we sleep, we start at REM sleep. We go down through stage one and two of light sleep, down through three and four, and then come back up again. And we do that cycle three to four times a night. So to answer your question, I don't have a, a, a specific focus for total sleep other than around seven and a half hours, you know, some based on your genetics, some people can do well with seven hours. Some people need up to eight to eight and a half hours, but around seven and a half hours of overall total sleep is great. However, the reason why I went through that explanation is because just focusing on that, you miss the big picture. The key thing is you need to look at the REM sleep and you need to look at your deep sleep. And those are the critical aspects of sleep for, uh, for, uh, Obtaining the restorative component of, of sleep that you're that you're looking for that you're needing,
1: and the Aura Ring will break that down.
0: It does; it absolutely breaks it down. So, what you want to look at, you want to look at your REM time, and you want to look at your deep sleep time, and those together, you want at least three hours combined between REM and deep sleep. Light sleep gives you actually very little benefit. It's really the REM plus the deep. Aim for three hours or more. Yeah.
1: Well, let's maybe go back to epigenetics for a minute. So, I. No, some of the genetic variants that I have, and I'm also looking at this with my patients. Um, specifically, one of the variants you mentioned in your book is the GAD1 gene. These individuals can't convert glutamine or glutamate, I should say, to GABA. Glutamate is an excitatory neurotransmitter. GABA is a calming neurotransmitter. And I have never tolerated MSG well. I avoid it at all costs. I get heart palpitations and very fast heart rate. And in fact, I don't tolerate the glutamine supplement either, which I'm usually heavily advocating for with my patients because it's a very important, non-essential um, amino acid to heal the gut. So patients who have food sensitivities were putting on glutamine for months, sometimes years to help. And that's something that I have, I interestingly (laughs) found out that I couldn't tolerate. And then that correlated with the genes that I had. So to me, just having that knowledge is, is so powerful. And so I assume with your patients, you're looking at a lot of different genes as far as, um, again, the diet they need to be on or how much sleep they need to be getting or even maybe some nutrients that they need. So can you expand a little bit on how you use epigenetics and some important genes that you've found and have utilized your patients? Sure.
0: Sure. Yeah, absolutely. And and if I may, I'll just back up briefly for listeners who may not be familiar with the term epigenetics, because I tend to throw it around without even uh, uh, being sure to clarify what it means. Epigenetics, it it literally means above the genes. But what we mean by that is that your genetic code is fixed for the most part. It does not change from what your parents gave you when you were first conceived. Um, Your genes are stable other than rare mutations. However, our environment, our lifestyle, will affect the actual expression of those genes. And so uh, things like uh, what you eat, things like um, toxins and chemicals in your environment, things like how you sleep, things like um, your um, trauma or um, social experiences when you're a child all these different uh, environmental factors can affect the way your genes actually function. And so everything that happens in your body, every physiologic process is based on gene expression. And so epigenetics is simply how everything in your life affects the external affects the internal. So back to your question. I'm sorry. (laughs) It's a long winded answer as always, (laughs) because it's never a simple answer. You know, we have, in my practice, we have six areas of health that we look at in terms of genetics. We look at nutrition. We look at micronutrient supplementation. We look at sleep. We look at detox pathways. We look at fitness. And we look at hormone function. And in each of those six areas, we can look at specific genes that we know code for specific processes in your body. Like you mentioned, the GAD1 genes, which is, I love that gene. It's fascinating to look at. And we can understand how your behaviors, lifestyle, environment, affect the expression of those genes and make specific changes that are unique to you. So I'll give you an example. There's the APOA5 gene, which is the nut gene, the anti-nut gene. So we talk a lot about healthy fats versus unhealthy fats and what foods should be eating. and, And a question will often come up, well, hey, can I eat nuts? Well, for some people, nuts are great, especially almonds and walnuts and macadamia nuts. They're wonderful. For other people, though, omega-6 polyunsaturated fatty acids are terrible for them, and they have what's called the anti-nut gene where you specifically want to avoid nuts. And so wouldn't you like to know what your APOA5 gene is, right? Uh, The APOE gene relates to what we talked about earlier with saturated fat intake. Wouldn't you want to know what your APOE gene says? Um, There are genes related to every... Um, aspect of those six areas of health. You know, we can look at micronutrients of vitamin D and whether you're at risk for vitamin D deficiency or whether your uh, vitamin D receptor is going to function normally or the things that we can do to upregulate that. We can look at your detox pathways and certain people are at risk of poor glutathione function, which is critical for as antioxidant for, you know, free radical scavenging. And, and based on your genetics, we can know blind spots that we can address Again, proactively, male 2.0, taking charge of your health, not waiting for disease, but actually being proactive, knowing based on your genetics, what your propensities and predispositions are ahead of time.
1: That's wonderful. And that gives power back to the patient, that there's something that they can do.
0: Exactly. Exactly. That's right.
1: I know we've jumped around with the different points here, but I want to go back to a particular liquid poison that you mentioned in your book that I am advocating women not consume which essentially is dairy or in your book you mentioned milk but this was so so stunning Um, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here but essentially you mentioned that drinking a glass of milk can drop testosterone levels by 50 percent because of just layers and layers of chemicals the plastics lining the the jug or the carton of milk the hormones that have been injected into that cow that the milk came from the mold toxins that are on the grains that the cow's consuming the herbicides and pesticides <laughs> which are also on the grain so when we drink that well i don't but when some people drink a glass of milk they're not thinking that that could be crushing their testosterone that those layered that they're consuming layers and layers of endocrine disrupting toxins i don't know if you want to elaborate on that but to me that was just stunning and for any men listening i mean take it. Think about think about the detrimental effects on your health before you have that, that glass of milk.
0: <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's powerful. You, you know, There was a study that uh, gave young, uh, I think they were teenage, I think they were 13, 14-year-old boys, they gave them milk off the shelf for a grocery store. And they simply tested their testosterone levels before and one hour after they drank this milk. And there was a precipitous drop in their testosterone levels after simply drinking a glass of milk and you know that's just one glass you think of uh, milk over a lifetime and uh you know the mechanism of that is what you just described i think is layers and layers of 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 chemicals and toxins and uh, i i like to say we're in a soup of endocrine disruption all around us and so it's making decisions like that you know um i think a healthy alternative would be almond milk for example where, uh, you know, plant-based milk like that, where, you know, yes, it still may be in a, pl- in, a, in, a in a cardboard container with wine with plastic. Yes, you, you know, you, you're having to make choices, but you're doing the best you can. And, you, and these little decisions every day um, are, are what's really going to, over the long term, make a big effect.
1: And by plant-based, also, I just want to be clear to the audience, not soy. <laughs> not, soy.
0: <laughs> not, soy. not soy. Soy
1: has estrogenic properties also, so... That's not good.
0: (laughs) And I've gotten into some fairly heated, fun, but heated debates with colleagues and friends who are uh, strong plant-based advocates and who love soy. And um, I I think the, the literature is, is confusing because there is commercial bias because there's a lot of money in the soy industry and uh, soybean oil uh, is associated with, with massive companies that are making massive profits, and if there were uh, studies that would hit them, it would not be very um, beneficial, obviously, in their mind. And so, there is a there are several studies out there that I believe have been bought by the soy industry, and that makes it very confusing when you go. You know, the, the arguments will center around certain studies that have been pulled but I would counter with studies that have shown clear health risks and there's no commercial bias. There's no, you know, there's no evil intent there other than just to get to the truth. So it is what it is. You have to accept that people are going to have their, their confirmational bias and people are going to find studies to support their opinion. But I think the literature shows that there's some real dangers with soy.
1: Agreed. Totally agreed. Well, let's talk a little bit about, labs that you think are really important to have tested to assess if there is a hormone imbalance if hormones are not optimal so can you just briefly run through what labs you would suggest the audience have checked
0: yeah absolutely we'll start with testosterone i think a a testosterone level is obviously important i would emphasize a free testosterone however is vitally important uh, because uh, especially men with higher shbg levels or sex hormone binding globulin levels Uh, Their total testosterone may be uh, reasonably okay, but their free testosterone is markedly decreased. Free testosterone is unbound to any uh, serum proteins and is the bioavailable form of of testosterone.
1: Just to tell the, the audience a little bit about SHBG, I like to explain to my patients, it's like a sponge. It's carrier protein, it's a sponge. So it'll soak up your testosterone that you actually want to be free and available out there to help you. So we don't want that to be high, to be clear.
0: Exactly. Exactly right. Yeah. And there are fun peptides, which can bring SHBG down. um, But uh, nonetheless, SHBG uh, will uh, diminish your free testosterone. So your bioavailable testosterone won't be uh, where you need to be. I'll also stop there briefly and mention that there, when you're looking at these lab results, you know, you'll look at the lab test and it'll say normal range for testosterone is 250 to 1000, which is a joke. It's a complete joke. Because that's simply the um, from looking at standard deviation perspective, just the national averages and what the population level uh, testosterone levels are, and those are clinically quote normal, but they're not physiologically normal or optimal. And so, when you look at total testosterone, you know anything less than than even eight hundred, I would say, is low. And I think you really need levels 800, 900, 1,000, if not even up to 1,200, 1,500 even, which uh, there are several other uh, hormone experts who will agree with me on this, that you really need levels well beyond what the, quote, normal lab range is. So, But again, free testosterone will be more important than the total. Looking at thyroid is another critical hormone. Uh, Most primary care doctors will simply check TSH and say, oh, your TSH is fine. TSH is fairly worthless because you need to look at your T3 and T4. So the thyroid makes both T3 and T4, mostly T4. T4 gets converted into T3, and T3 is the actual physiologically active form of thyroid hormone. And so we don't care what your TSH is if your T3 is low, We also look at the reverse T3, which is kind of like the the antibody, if you will, to to T3. And reverse T3 can be elevated from stress and inflammation. And reverse T3 can block the effects of T3. And so we want to look at your T4 levels. We want to look at your free T3 levels. We want to look at your reverse T3 levels uh, that, again, go well beyond just TSH. Um, I want to look at uh, markers of inflammation. I want to look at things like homocysteine CRP, um, looking at cardiovascular risk. Um, most doctors will just check a simple lipid panel looking at HDL, LDL, total cholesterol, and triglycerides. You got to look at LP little a. You got to look at particle, lipid particle size. You have to look at apolipoprotein B, which is probably one of the most important lipoproteins we have, and most doctors don't even know what it is. So apolipoprotein B is the lipoprotein carrier for the bad lipid particles, if you will. And so uh, that's going to be a much more direct indicator of your cardiovascular risk than just looking at HDL-LDL. So those are just some of the key ones. You know, we look at electrolytes, we look at um, you know liver enzymes, we look at you know other labs like that. You know, uh, for men, I think estradiol is valuable. Although um, I don't get worried if it's elevated, I think the ratio of testosterone to, to estrogen is what's most important there. So uh, that's just a start.
1: Wonderful, wonderful. I'm going to comment on a couple of things there. For the women listening, <laughs> if you have taken birth control before, uh, that also will cause the SHBG to rise, which will drop your free testosterone, which is why some women have improvements in acne and uh, higher androgen symptoms, but that's also why libido will tank when women are on birth control. So this, uh, these comments apply to men and women that we, you don't want SHBG to be high. And I totally agree on all the thyroid labs. I, I think... TSH stands for too slow to help. One of my mentors, Joe Collins, once told me that. <laughs> I think by the time TSH is high, patients have had low thyroid symptoms for a long time. So I think that's so important. And uh, one thing that I try to drive home through my book is the importance of assessing comprehensive functional medicine labs and have them appropriately interpreted <laughs> in the context that you were saying, right? We, we're we not looking for just normal labs. We want patients our patients' labs to be in the optimal range for them to age age well. Now, you recently (laughs) did actually contract the coronavirus. Um, So, I would love to briefly, I'm sure we could talk for just an hour on that, your experience, but (laughs) briefly tell me what that was like for you and kind of how your recovery was and what all you felt like contributed to uh, maybe a more quick recovery for you. Some of the things you've used like peptides,
0: yeah, absolutely. So yeah, I got sick one Friday night. I suddenly developed uh, flu-like symptoms with fever, shaking chills, body aches. And we had been uh, traveling the week prior, which I think may have been how I, I contracted the, the virus. Um, but I, I sent my family away. I quarantined myself alone. And um, over the next couple of days, the flu-like symptoms cleared up, but I was left with this dense fatigue overwhelming fatigue like I've never had before that persisted for about a month, a month to six weeks of incredible fatigue. Uh, I practiced telemedicine in the meantime, um, isolated myself, and uh, gradually improved. It was a long, long recovery process. Um, In terms of what I did to recover, I would uh, propose that my MEL 2.0 approach to health is what probably had a large was largely responsible for my quick recovery um i practice what i preach and i get good sleep and i you know focus on micronutrient supplementation and proper nutrition and on um you know detox support and on optimizing hormones you know what i recommend to my clients about fitness and about every other aspect of lifestyle i do myself and i think that had a large component what i also did you bring up peptides is i immediately started peptides that are uh, specifically focused on boosting immune function. And I think those peptides are, are, are a big part of, uh, contribute to my recovery as well. I love peptides. Um, peptides are amazing signaling molecules. Uh, they're simply chains of amino acids that can have various uh, benefits, whether it's you know boosting um, muscle development, weight loss, uh, in this case, immune function. Cognitive focus. You can use them for sexual function, libido, hair loss. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, I love peptides, and they, they definitely have their place in, in you know proactive male 2.0 health.
1: Wonderful. I would love to do another episode just on peptides because we could talk. Uh- Quite a bit on those. But just to be clear to the audience, you literally were tested for the coronavirus. Like you were tested, you had it. Um, so now out of curiosity, I'm wondering if you've had antibody levels tested to see if your IgG is rising or do you know where you're at?
0: Yeah, so I, I got tested uh, a couple days after I developed symptoms. I was tested. Um, at the time, which was middle of March, there was very little testing available. There was, it was still a really challenge just to find a, a testing location. So I had to go to the local emergency room where the uh, local epidemiologist uh, gave me permission to get the test done without being admitted. At the time, the only way to get a test was to be admitted to the hospital. I wasn't sick enough that I needed that. So I was able to get a test done. It took 10 days to get the test results back, which were positive. So all that time I sat waiting. Um, So I tested positive and then I tested again about uh, uh, two or three weeks later. I was negative at that point. And then about uh, three weeks after that is when I got my antibiotic test done and I was IgG positive at that point. So it's really just a positive negative. uh, It's a binary result. So um, I was uh, positive for the antibodies, and I actually uh, donated plasma as part of a, a, a convalescent serum donor study here locally. So um, so I do have the antibodies. Um, that brings up a lot of questions, obviously, about immunity and how long they stick around. And, and obviously, no one knows. A, a lot of people think they know, but no one knows.
1: Well, I'm thankful. I'm sure you're very thankful (laughs) that you had all this knowledge that your body was in good shape when you were exposed. So your outcome was, was good. So thankful for that. Absolutely. Leave us with your top longevity tip. I'm sure you have handfuls, but what would your absolute top longevity tip be for the audience?
0: Absolutely. Number one, without question is sleep. So good quality sleep affects everything sleep affects uh, testosterone levels it affects it directly it also affects it through cortisol and chronically elevated cortisol is the the result you get from crappy sleep so when you don't sleep well it affects your hormone levels it affects neurotransmitters it affects adrenal function it affects your uh your appetite and your ability to avoid temptation and resist uh you know uh, poor nutrition choices it affects detox It, it affects everything and so what i would really emphasize for patients men women anyone one of the best things you can do is focus on good quality sleep and track it and you know a lot of guys will come in initially and they're like yeah i sleep fine well yeah you sleep seven hours but when i look at your your data you're only getting an hour and a half of REM plus deep sleep combined. So that's crappy sleep. And then we can focus on how to improve that.
1: Wonderful. Thank you. So tell me where listeners can get your book and where they can find you and connect with you.
0: Thank you so much. So my website is smartmenshealth.com and my book will be coming out shortly. It will be on Amazon as well as on my website directly. And I hope you check it out.
1: Wonderful. Well, I hope this has piqued the interest of all those listening in men and women that this will motivate them to make some changes in their life that will contribute to higher hormone levels and ultimately longevity. So as you say in your book, doing nothing is not the answer, (laughs) but the time really is now to take control of your health. So I'm incredibly thankful that you have shared with us, uh, with our listeners, just ultimate strategies. So thank you so much for your time, and I believe um, your mission also is to again, inspire men to become more present husbands and fathers and leaders. And I absolutely love that because that's what our world needs. We, That's what we need. And I, I thank you for, for that being your mission.
0: I appreciate it, Stephanie. Thanks so much for having me today.
1: Wow, wow, wow. Who would have thought that plastic in K-cups, birth control in our water, and even milk could be contributing to the low testosterone epidemic we have. Thankfully, as you heard, there is good news. You now have the knowledge of what to avoid to help boost those beneficial hormone levels. So share this with all of the men in your lives. I know I can't wait for my husband to hear this. Be sure to check out my book, Your Longevity Blueprint. And if you aren't much of a reader, you're in luck. You can now take my course online where I walk you through each chapter in the book. Plus for a limited time, not only is the course 50% off, but you also get your first consult with me for free. Check this offer out at yourlongevityblueprint.com and click the course tab. One of the biggest things you can do to support the show and help us reach more listeners is to subscribe to the show and leave us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. I read all of the reviews and would truly love to hear your suggestions for show topics, guests, or how you're applying what you've learned on the show to create your own longevity blueprint. The podcast is produced by the team at Counterweight Creative. As always, thanks so much for listening and remember, wellness is waiting.